Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, Wayne Lou, and for the first segment, joining me on the line is one of the oldest friends I have in this blog game, um, in this podcasting game, the guy who gave me my start in all of this. Eternally grateful to this man, but also just, uh, you know, a, a friend who has written a really nice column uh, over at Raptors Republic. It's Zarar Siddiqui. Zarar, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, Zarar. I appreciate you. You know, um, how often do you write these days? Let, let's be honest. Oh, man. You You're know, a busy like, guy. I, I, I consider myself, I, I think you took economics, I'm pretty sure, when mm-hmm. I uh, yeah. at in university. I, I consider Very myself... Very useful degree, uh, by the way, for what I do. It, it, <laughs> uh, I consider myself an inferior good. So what that means is that uh, when 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 you ha- when uh, things are going good, uh, you usually buy vacations and you know cars and that kind of stuff and expensive items. But in times of recession, you need uh, demand for certain other types of writing increases. Yes. So right now, the Raptors happen to be in a recession, and I, I happen to be the inferior good. So I've written like two articles in the last uh, little while. One was the I think article you mentioned, and the second was a breakdown of that. Uh, of those last two possessions against the Bucks, which uh, which I'm still feeling the the pain from. Yeah, it was uh, it, it's pain not just from them losing and not just them losing in overtime and not just because I'm sure your conclusion was you know um, let's just say heavily tied to Fred. Um, I, I do think that he made some crucial mistakes, um, but also I think there's some team efforts around that. But I, I think yeah, more painful just because of how bad that game was. I'm not going to revisit that one. That, that one is like one for the books. That's, that's like right up there with Rudy Gay shooting 11 of 37. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it was painful. And I think uh, I, I don't want to rehash it uh, either, yeah. but uh, it, it just wasted a really, really amazing last uh, three or four minutes, the, the likes of which I, I don't think I remember seeing uh, the Raptors play. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, the other column, which uh, I thought was really great. It's kind of these one of these big picture columns that I think it was really needed because... You know, like we're basically at the halfway point of the season. Like we're pretty close to that. And, and the column was up, up at Raptors Republic. Uh, it's called Raptors Hitting Their Limits, What's Next? And you basically go through all the things that are going on with this team in terms of sort of the experimentation with Vision 6-9, um, you know, whether or not they pivot into a tank or rebuild, who to kind of keep, who not to keep in that sort of situation. A conclusion on the front office, which I think you kind of look at, and, and I agree as well in terms of just not adding enough talent to this team, and that's why we're in this problem. But of course, as with all Raptors conversations these days, there are it starts with Fred. Um, so, you know, you bring in the point of since Kyle Lowry has moved on, the Raptors um, at the point guard position, right? We've handed it to Pascal, we've handed it to Fred Van Vliet, and whoever on the day thinks that they can play point guard has been amusing to watch. So you've added that portion as well because the Raptors have essentially played a lot of guys at point. Um, but you kind of mentioned that Fred, who's supposed to be the number two, just hasn't really gotten going. What are you seeing from Fred? Obviously, we know that the three-point shooting has has really fallen off, and, and he offers some explanation for that. We're going to get to that in the second segment on his appearance on the J.J. Reddick podcast. But in your watching of Fred in the last – this is essentially half year already, half season. What's 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 been the problem? Well, 
I think Fred has become sort of the lightning rod, uh, which is attracting all the criticism. I mean, all the problems the team has had, uh, they seem to gravitate towards Fred because he, he's, he's sort of become the, become the beacon or the representative of the problems that the Raptors have. And that's not really fair to him. He has definitely struggled. And the, one of the main reasons he's struggled and his percentages, uh, his three-point percentages show this, is that quite simply he has moved away from the rim when it comes to shooting. Like he's extended his three-point shooting from a, from a, you know, from his usual 21-foot range to like 23, 24. And even the shot he took against Milwaukee, but, you know, if you consider that's that's not a good shot, no matter who's guarding him, that's not a good shot from mm-hmm. that distance. Yeah, yeah. And, but those are, the, those are the kind of shots that he's taking, so his percentages have fallen. Now, because he's kind of like one of the highest paid players on the team and he's performing poorly, everybody's like, Fred's the problem. And he, he totally has, and the Raptors have tried to hide him by... Uh, by moving the ball over to Siakam, letting him uh, play make more, turning Fred into a spot-up shooter, basically trying to do anything to make sure that uh, Fred's advantages, which is his shooting, are emphasized and his and his uh, you know weak points like his driving ability or his lack of speed are sort of hidden. Now, for, for that that's Fred. But at the same time, a, a lot of the pressure is because the Raptors happen to have a 26th-ranked bench in the league and are 29th in three-point shooting. Fred is part of the problem there, no doubt, especially part of the three-point shooting problem. But because the Raptors have so many other issues going on, especially their bench, which is, you know, oh, poor man. by any standard. So it, you know, bad. You, you know, it's... Seven it's, points a game it, bad right now. And it, what's also surprising is that the Raptors have, have a youth system, which in the Raptors 9 of 5, which sort of you expect to produce some level of bench-level talent. I mean, you don't expect them to produce Pascal Siakams every year, but you expect that that factory to produce at least something resembling a productive bench yeah, player. Like a Chris and Boucher. They haven't, like, a, like a Boucher who's also struggled. Yeah. So Boucher's struggling, Precious being injured, um, you know, Barnes struggling this year. People look at, okay, who's going to pick up the slack? And they look at their best players. And the best players are Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. Pascal's doing his part, no doubt. Fred's not. So because of all the other things that are going on, Fred has ended up becoming this, like, magnetic source of controversy and disappointment because he happens to be one of the two best players. And I remember remember talking about, you know, the... uh, uh, the, the question of like, I'm, I'm going back to the Chris Bosh years, was like, mm. is Chris Bosh a number one player? Can you build a team around him? And some of the same questions were asked of Pascal Siakam. Is he a number one guy? Can you build a, a championship team around him? And I think he's answered that to some degree. But I think the bigger question you have to ask is, is Fred a number two option on a championship team? I think that is a bigger question than is Siakam a number one option uh, on a title team? And so far... Fred has struggled to, to, to adapt to this uh, bigger role. And I'll also add that, you know, teams, sometimes people think like it's a 12v12 game, you know, and you, you have the coaches and the players. But, you know, these days teams employ, you know, vast amount of scouts and analytics and whatever. So if something worked for you one year, like Fred's three-point shooting worked pretty well last year, well, this year there's no guarantees it's going to work because mm-hmm. there's so much there's so much, the scouting has increased like, you know, what, 500% in this league with all the technology and all that. So something that worked one year is not guaranteed to work next year, which makes extrapolation of wins or extrapolation of success in general a a very difficult game to play. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I I think that's, first off, that's exactly what your piece does. It's like it highlights a lot of these problems, ties them sort of together. And and we're going to go through, honestly, point by point because I, I really loved it. But I think specifically to Fred, I mean, the number two option is in a, 
it's just it hasn't really worked out. Let's just let's just say that. Um, I I don't think that when Fred is interviewed about it, you know, he talks about having the ball taken out of his hands and how he's not finding the rhythm. I'm not really here to like negate sort of his experience about that because I I really do think that um you know that would impact in terms of rhythm. But to me, it's also like well that doesn't necessarily explain that on wide open catch and shoots, which you were really good at last season, why that's dropped off so significantly. Like I literally last time at at this point in the season. He was at 50% on catch-and-shoot threes, and right now he's at, like, 32. And when you take that extra 20% and you multiply it by the number of attempts, and when you look at a lot of these games, when you have lost some of these games, one or two more threes would have made the difference. Now, I also agree with you because there's a big nuance here because with Fred, him taking one or two, making one or two more shots isn't necessarily the only thing wrong with the team. I think there's underperformance across the board when you look at some of the other pieces, and that's – to single out Fred specifically for that, it's not – he might be, like, one of the biggest problems, but he is not the only problem, right? And I think that that's where you got to really diagnose the team. Um, and, yeah, I mean, when you when you look at the roster and, and some of the other guys who are, you know, not necessarily playing well and playing great, how much of that is sort of tied to uh, this idea of Division 6-9 with, with all the forwards and everything like that? Because – as you highlight in your piece, one of the issues is they don't have a lot of dribble penetration because a lot of these forwards aren't really great at in you know navigating tight spaces and getting downhill outside of Pascal, of course. Um, there's not a lot of three-point shooting. There's not a lot of pick and roll happening. And weirdly enough, their defense isn't that great. So what's what, uh, give me your assessment on Vision 6-9 so far. Well, first of all, I, I, I love the idea of experimentation with a lineup. So kudos to the Raptors franchise for trying something different because in sure. this league when you can't – and I know as much as Toronto is, is is a better place for free agents now, it doesn't have that same, same stigma that it used to maybe uh, in, you know, in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, you still can't rely on just signing the next big free agent. So you have to have some sort of – uh, something that attracts people, something organic that 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 you can use to build your success on. So, kudos for, to the Raptors for actually trying this uh, this experiment. But at some point in any experiment, you have to ask: Have we collected sufficient amount of data to see whether this thing works or doesn't? Mm. And I think that's the question at this point. You have to ask: Is what other configuration of the current lineup or current strategy can you employ, which will produce a different result? Uh, so great that we're doing an experiment with the six nine thing, but now that this experiment has yielded some data that you, your your three point shooting is lacking, you have too much dribble penetration, and very counterintuitively, your defense is quite poor, which mm-hmm. is something that I don't think anybody thought going no. into this. People thought the defense was going to be better because of the length and the wingspan and the and the deflections they would generate, and and it, it would overall we were expecting like a top five six defense in the league. At least I was. All that hasn't happened. So that's feedback to you as a franchise on w- what what this experiment is yielding. Now, the question is, what are you going to, are you going to act on it? Or are you going to just kind of push through and say, okay, this is happening because of injuries or this is the point in time, let's push through. And that's kind of what the main question at the deadline really is, is that do you actually go ahead and abandon this experiment or do you, or do you try to try to push through? Um, I, th- I think your question was why, why this, ex- why, like why we're seeing such poor numbers in in, in defense and three point shooting. I think uh, let me let me tackle three point shooting first. Yeah. Well, the short answer is that well, we don't have great three point shooters. Um, I mean, uh, or many the three point shooters. We have like maybe four. Yeah, 
Yeah. And and the and the guy that we are our free agent signing in the in the summer who was supposed to bring that is has been injured. So Masai could look at that and go, oh, maybe it, it's just an Auto Porter Jr. issue. I don't think it is. I think no, that's just that that's that that's it's this is bigger than Auto Porter Jr. This this is a question of a bunch of our three point shooters not not performing and also not necessarily getting the clean looks that they that that that, that, that they need to knock down the shot. So there's no three point shooting. That's because there's no. There's no dribble penetration and there's no creativity. You can only ask Pascal Siakam to do so much. The guy is, I, I look at him in the, you know, he he starts the third quarter and by the time he goes to the bench in the uh, at the third quarter break, the guy looks gassed. Oh, and yeah. now we're asking this guy to come in into the fourth quarter and do, handle the ball, score. Nobody's able to do that. He's not that level of player. So three-point shooting is a, is a larger problem across the board. Mm-hmm. Um. What was the other point? The uh, the well, the, the, the Raptors well, the don't run the pick and roll either. And again, these are all kind of things. Oh, right. which, which, honestly, yeah. even last season, we yeah. saw these are points of weaknesses, right? Shooting, yeah. uh, in terms of the lack of dribble penetration. I mean, even the lack of dribble penetration. I think that's where ideally you would see Fred contribute yeah. more to that because that's just a position where you usually see it from guards more than you see it from yeah. big wings, right? Big wings can use the pick and roll, manipulate. If you're really able to shoot, bring guys really close to you, then use your handle, get past a guy. Like we've seen big wings, obviously dominate in that sense as well but the Raptors don't actually have that they do have Pascal who's able to get past his man draw the second guy and he's obviously doing his very best he's excluded from these conversations but he's like the only guy who can actually put pressure on the paint which is you know a real issue when that means that all the other people can kind of be much more static defensively and not have these super long closeouts where you see like honestly it's a very big difference watching the Raptors shoot threes and how the Raptors are guarded from three versus like when the Raptors have to guard the three-point line themselves you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of, like, swing, swing into the corner. Guys are just flying around trying to, like, maybe climb out and, and maybe deflect the three or maybe force them to relocate. Versus for the Raptors, it's a lot more static, like, drive, kick, one pass out. And that guy has to hit the three on the wing. Well, you, you mentioned dribble penetration, right? And and Fred Van Vliet. And, and the two and the pick and roll, they all kind of go hand in hand. Because in, in most cases, you dribble penetrate because you are quicker than your defender. And sure. you can yeah, get yeah. by them. Like Kyrie, uh, you know, Shy, SGA. All these people have that that quickness that can get you past your man without the need of a screen. Um and the pick and roll actually does that a little bit. If you set a screen, you give the guard the option to drive. Since the since the Raptors have a slower guard in Fred Van Vliet, he's not going to blow by any defender one on one consistently. He actually needs a lot of help in getting into the paint. And because the Raptors they run some high screen action pretty mm. further further out from the three point line, that's not a pick and roll. That's just a high screen out from the three point line. What I'm talking about is a is a pick and roll closer to the three point line where Fred has the opportunity to turn frequently. And also has an option to kind of make a bounce pass to a big uh, who's rolling to the rim or kick out to the three. Since the Raptors don't do that, they actually hamper Fred's ability to create because he doesn't have options on what to do with the ball. Mm. He's more or less a dribble handoff guy to whoever's swinging back. Usually, usually it's um, Gary Trent Jr. or Siakam who's coming behind Fred to take the ball from him rather than Fred driving in and having options both at the three-point line and inside uh, the paint to, to make a pass. And, and the guy that I think we uh, Raptor fans sort of look forward to, uh, and this is kind of, you know, this, this kind of says where the Raptors are at. I mean, they look at Kem Birch as a guy who is good in the pick and roll and who can actually do that. But people forget Kem Birch yeah, come on. was a journeyman player in Orlando. Like the, this, this is not like we got some vet, you know, with playoff experience who knows how to do things. He's learning just like the rest of it. So to rely on Kem Birch to set screens and run the pick and roll, that's a that's a losing proposition. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's one of the things when you don't, when you try to build with all the 6'9 guys, and I completely understand the theory behind it, but then when you don't have, like, a successful pick-and-roll big, I think that also makes playing the pick-and-roll much harder for some of the Raptors' pick-and-roll guards, right? Like, I think my, that might be one of the reasons why Malachi Flynn has had to essentially redefine his whole entire role going from college to, to pro, which isn't, like, entirely unique. Lots of people have to redefine their roles after college and stuff like that. But, like, I think for him, one of the, the strengths in which you drafted a guy like that in the first round is that he's there to play pick-and-roll for you. Or Fred VanVleet is very, very cl- – I mean, he's a pick-and-roll guard more than anything else, especially because he needs to screen and sort of get free. But he has the attributes that you want to see from a pick-and-roll player in the sense that he can really pull up for three. He has, you know, his his passing package is good. It's not elite, but it's good. Um, you know, but he doesn't have that guy to play pick-and-roll with on the team. I mean, you know, that I think that's why you're seeing much more and more now where Scotty is sort of playing, like, a de facto five role, not only because he's sort of a point center in that role – and again, like this is just describing the role, not saying that that's what he is specifically, but he's 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 setting that screen and they're finding him. And the fact that they're even using him in some of these pick and roll scenarios, he's obviously not a pick and roll center either, but he's better at fu- functioning in that screener role and actually making a play when he catches it, you know, outside of a layup uh, than anyone else on the roster, really. So they're almost having to sort of wedge uh, him into that role. And so... Yeah, no, it's, it's it's a couple of problems, and I think even the shooting thing. I mean, I I do, and you made point, you made this point that a lot of the Raptors shooters are shooting below their their averages this season, and that to you seems more like a shot generation thing. But to me, it's just like I don't know. At some point, aren't we also talking about the same players who had a pretty good season last year that we're all pretty happy about at the end of the day? Like, what 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 changed? I think that's probably what's the confusing part for a lot of the guys because they're looking at the same players in the same rosters. The big change was Otto Porter in the offseason. He hasn't even played. So we're literally talking about the exact same team. So is there is there another explanation for the, the team-wide drop-off? Uh, not that – I mean, I, I think you have to look at – no, no, I, I don't have a great explanation for that or an answer for that. Uh, but but I, it goes back to, like, may, maybe nothing changed with the Raptors and a lot changed with how other teams view the Raptors or, mm. or know how to defend them. Sometimes we, we go, like, oh, he missed a shot. He should have made that shot. Why, why isn't he shooting the exact same percentage as last year? But we don't necessarily play, pay attention to the nuances of like, you know, where did he catch the ball? Who, who passed him the ball? Was it a bounce pass or was it a was it a chess pass? I don't know. The, all these things sort of matter. But but I agree with you. I don't have a – Raptor fans in general don't have a great answer on why there is a drop-off across the board. Um, but, you know, going back to your, your, your pick-and-roll point is that it, it's cool to have Pascal Siakam and Scotty play, you know, Point center. By the way, by the way, point center. Like, what? What? What is that even? That sounds like a scam. Sounds like a Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, variety is the spice of life, man. You uh-huh. know. So e- even, even if, uh, e- even if Pascal at the point is your go-to strategy, that can't be your only way to generate offense. You have to mix it up and throw defenses different looks because I feel that when you're playing an opponent now, the other team you know, can pretty much predict with good accuracy on what the Raptors will run on every possession. They have to worry about maybe one thing instead of two or three things. And I think that's a problem. I mean, that that, that can work for stretches, maybe a month, uh, two months. But, you know, teams make mid-season adjustments and they make in-game adjustments. And that that sort of stuff kind of catches up to you. Yeah, no, and I think the the point on scouting I think is really good too because the one thing you do hear from the opposing players time and time again when they come in, the, the star is they always talk about how even on the defensive end where I, I I do think the Raptors are very creative on that front and I, I think anyone who thinks that Nick isn't creative on defense, I mean, I, I just don't know what you're watching. But at the same time, 
you can only reinvent the wheel so many times and you can throw out the sort of the 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 junk playbook or you know and i mean that in a nice way like in the same in the same way that actually steph kind of called it janky as well when he was actually just trying to describe it as being weird uh not other than insult but when you have stars coming in is essentially saying i'm going to expect this and this and this to happen right I, I think that's also speaks to the scouting and department as well but i think um when we look at the bigger picture right the the trade deadline comes up in about a month here i think it's pretty clear now that the raptors are probably going to try to sell and so in that sense, when you got to look at the core pieces of the team, um, you didn't even mention Scotty. Obviously, I don't think Scotty's moving anywhere. Um, your position is keep Pascal, move Fred. Gary's probably a keeper for you too. You're, you're a little bit confused as to why Gary is, is, is always mentioned so often. And that OG probably shouldn't go anywhere. It, it, did I have that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you did. I mean, uh, the, the, the Gary thing amuses me, man, because... Like if Gary's if Gary is traded, he's being traded for the fault that he's played well, <laughs> which which doesn't make any sense to me, especially because his age is aligned with uh, kind of the contention window or the time window for Scotty Barnes, and that's one of the reasons that OG is in there as well because because OG, I think we should just level set our expectations of the guy. No matter what kind of team you are building, mm. you're always going to have uh, a need for a good defensive wing, a decent three-point shooter, a hard work a guy who can play the passing lanes, does all the things that OG does, and he's, to, he's tied to a reasonable contract and all that good stuff. I just don't see, even if you're, and I don't think we're talking about, when we say tank, I think we should qualify that. I don't think we're talking about going into a multi-year, um, you know, like Philadelphia 76ers type situation. We're talking about like maybe maybe tanking the rest of the year. I, I don't know what you feel about that. But w no matter what you do, I just feel that guys like Gary and OG at their age and at their skill level is something you would need. And unless you're getting something like, which is clearly better than those two in return, mm. I, I don't I don't see a sense in moving those two. So then, like, what what is the rebuilding then? You know what I mean? Like, we, we got, <laughs> we're just back here on the same team. Like, how do we improve yeah. the bench, right? And I, th I think this is where... Yeah. If I have to give the front office like some leeway, it's yeah. like that. Like, there's not that many move. Like the the pieces that the other teams would want out of the Raptors are the pieces that are fundamental to what the Raptors would need when they eventually try to win again. Which I think, by the uh, way, they're very clearly trying to win. I mean, you don't play your starters 47 minutes without trying to win. Yeah, you know, I, I think having said the OG Fred thing, I, I think to get something of uh, reasonable value in return, you probably will have to trade one of them, right? Well, I'm talking about Gary and uh, and OG, sorry. Mm. Uh, and of course, Fred uh, as well. So I, I think you're not going to make a great trade unless you give up somebody of value. We saw that with the DeMar trade and, and all that stuff. So yeah. so yes, th there's going to be some parting of ways with players that we don't want to leave, that, that, we, that, we, that we want to retain, but that's just part of the part of the game. But, but my, 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 my question really is, is it, are, are we going into a, because if we're going into a rebuild where we expect the next contending team to be in like three years, then in the summertime, you have to talk about Pascal because I think it might be Pascal who's like, well, I don't think I want to be part of the situation. We're sort of assuming that he, 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 he you know, he, he's he's always going to want to play here. But, you know, he's 28, 29. Uh, he's going to be entering the prime of his career so far. He, he wants to play on a, on a championship team. I don't think he would be interested in, in being part of a three-year rebuild. I mean, okay, a three-year rebuild, obviously, I, I think that, that might be a little bit hard to sell to any sort of active star, but... At the same time, I do look at Pascal. I just I just don't see any of that history. You know, like even this season, right? I think it'd be very easy for Pascal, who's working really hard right now and, and kind of alone out there in a lot of these nights, where he could just say, 
you know, and, and he's interviewed quite often by the press and he can kind of like point fingers at his teammates or point fingers at anything else. He doesn't ever do that. He's, he's in a very positive space. And yeah, I mean, I, I understand that like this is the recent trend for star players. It's not like when things go bad, they kind of run. But I don't know. I, 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 maybe it's just maybe I'm being a little naive here, but I, I really do think that Pascal is going to kind of stay committed to this program. But obviously, I think the program has to be committed to, you know, putting pieces around him, too. And even if you like, for example, like hypothetically, if OG were to be moved, you kind of go one of two directions, right? You can try to package OG and with some other pieces and you roll it up into a secondary star, right? Which is essentially like what you really need to see with this team. Either someone steps up into that, either Fred returns back to where he was last season at, in the first half of the year, uh, whether Scotty really accelerates his development and he is the clear cut number two or the Raptors package OG with some picks and get a clear defined number two behind Pascal. Like that, that's ultimately the goal. I think from the trade, if they go the other direction of a trade like that, which is just to sort of liquidate and get like future assets that are like 2025, 2027 draft picks, then that, that stuff where it's like much less appealing because you're essentially taking away your best defensive player. And you know, you're asking Pascal to essentially do even more uh, with even less. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think if I, if I can make an, uh, an analogy, I think you, sort of are looking for a trade like uh, the New Orleans Pelicans pulled where they tried to get, you know, Zion some, uh, some help in the, in, 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 you know, in, in McCollum last year. So I think sure. that's the type of uh, trade that I think the Raptors might be seeking if they want to accelerate their, uh, their rebuild. Yeah. And listen, the Pelicans, that's, I mean, the front office has done a great job over there, man. David Griffin, you got to really tip your cap to him. Obviously he handled the AD trade pretty well, got tons and tons and tons of picks. Um, also got great players, right? Got Brandon Ingram in, the, in that in that swap. But even when you look at some of the players, like you're when you watch them, you're like, damn, you know, this this Dyson Daniels, pretty impressive. Trey Murphy the third, pretty impressive. Jose Alvarado, pretty impressive. And I think that's the other piece where you sort of concluded on your story is just like the front office has got to add more to this roster. Like the you know, and it's starting to get picked up a little bit here and there. I saw Eric Kareen wrote about it over at the Athletic. Blake was on on Tuesday, and he kind of really highlighted sort of just like the Raptors who have really been a developmental organization who have done a really great job. And you can always point to OG Pascal, Fred as sort of like the, the defining pieces of that. But at the lower end of the rotation, when we're talking about these like undrafted guys that they're sort of picking up every year or second round picks that they're picking up, obviously there's a low hit rate, but the hit rate right now is like zero in the yeah. last couple of years. There's not like a single guy in the last, like, like essentially three seasons now going on where they brought them in as a low sort of investment kind of thing, whether it's a second round pick, whether that's undrafted, whether that's whatever, or even just like recycling an old prospect and getting them a second chance. They're hitting zero hey. on that. Not a single one of those players are contributing to the Raptors right now hey. or even moving forward. I mean, it's time to bring Freddie Gillespie back. Is what I'm oh, gonna... my God. That, that <laughs> was dark. Now, that was dark. I know people really got on Aaron Baines, but Freddie Gillespie, I think, was actually was actually worse. It was it was uh, tough, but yeah, no. But seriously, yeah. man, that's what the Maasai yeah. gave us. Like it's it's been like a lot of Stanley Johnson, a lot of Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and honestly, Rondé was pretty decent for what he kind of came in for. But you know, like guys who they they've tried to sort of do something with Terrence Davis. Obviously, there was an off court issue with that, and they moved on from him, right? But like you know, Utah, they tried to develop it, didn't work out. Now it's working out. O'Shea Brissett tried to develop him, it didn't really work out. Now he's going somewhere else. It's 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 happening, and I'm not trying to say that like these are things that you know, you evaluate a GM on. But when you look at systemically over two to three years, when you don't have any of these guys that you can find out of the blue, it really does cut against, like, the next talent pipeline. The reason the bench is so dry is because of that exact reason, you know? 
I, I, and that goes back to the point of earlier about the 905 not necessarily producing the the, the requisite quality we need. But but can I just can I, I do yeah. want to you know make sure I say one thing is that uh, once we won the title, I told myself that this is such a unique moment for Toronto sports. Yeah. Uh, you know you know not in my lifetime that I thought it, this might happen. Uh, well, maybe not in my lifetime, but not for a while. I expected this to happen. That. Whatever Masai does for the five years after the title, mm. he has earned it. So if he wants to go burn this thing down and instead oh, yeah. of six no. nine, do 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 another kind of strategy of six four and no more, and just like have short people on the team, and he wants to experiment with that. All the power to him, man. He's earned it. So he's got one more year after this one to to experiment with. I don't know who's to, maybe he's gonna get somebody from the Euro League or something. I don't know. Maybe it's gonna be Maurizio Gerardini again. Oh, Who yeah. knows? But man, let's let's give him five years because he's earned it. Yeah. Uh, oh, while oh. I while I enjoy my title. Here's the thing. This is the big difference, right? No one, well, probably no one will ever reasonably say we need to change out the front office. Like the front office is gonna have eternal credit. Because they've, A, deserved it, and they've done a really great job on the whole, um, and, of course, because of the championship. But this is not going to be a market where people are going to be like, remember back in the day, it was like, let's get Brian Colangelo out of here. You know, let's let's get rid of all the old Brian, uh, Brian Colangelo guys, and then before that, Rob Babcock, and before that, you know, whatever. And it's just like, that used to be a conversation. You're not, you're not going to hear that conversation. I don't think anyone's going to reasonably have that in a good faith. But at the same time, we can say that this is what we want out of the front office or that this is what they haven't done well. But I think they kind of eventually earn everyone's eternal trust. But um, yeah, Zarar, before you go, um, what's going on? Live show? Rivoli? Oh, yeah. let, me just, Pre let me just say one thing. Okay, so it's yeah. our responsibility as fans to hold the G and media to hold the GM and the management accountable and surface these issues consistently. Mm. Like that's part of our part of our job, I think, as as media. So I, I think we're by, by talking about it and highlighting these issues. I think that's what media is supposed to do. Yeah. They're supposed to be like the opposition, if you will, in a in a political system to make sure that, that the team is accountable. Mm. Yes, the live event, hell of a time to hold a live event when the team is uh, going hey, down. Hey, listen, it could be an active deadline. <laughs> that's all I'm trying to say. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. It could be a good thing. Yeah, so so February seventh at uh, Rivoli, Toronto, uh, we got uh, you know we're, we're going to talk uh, trade deadline, which is going to be two days away. So all the Raptors public writers uh, are going to be there. Uh, Will, of course, you and Alex are, are welcome to come and and have some fun. Are but we having free drinks basketball. again? Because no, I'm kidding, man. Hey, you, man. you know I'm there. You, you got. You got free drinks for life at RR. Don't worry about oh, it. Oh, I know that, man. I appreciate uh, you, bro. So, uh, so yeah, come out February 7th at Rivoli, Toronto. It's at 6 p.m. Uh, it's going to be about a two- to three-hour podcast. Uh, there's 10% off food, a bunch of things. There's, just talk some uh, uh, Raptors basketball with fellow hardcore fans. Come out and uh, and, and I uh, hope to meet you all. Yeah, man. Tickets, 20 bucks. You know, all proceeds going towards the writers. You know, get yourself a Raptors Republic subscription if you haven't already. Fairly cheap. Are right, the Boxing Day sales still going on? I saw that going on the other day. I know it's over. It's mm. over. You missed yeah. out, but it's listen, it. these guys are worth full price, full price of admission. All right, Zarar, appreciate you, man. Hope you're doing well. All right, congrats to your your, your gooners, by the way. All right, I hope you guys Ooh. hold on for the for the rest of the, the year. I know you guys are gonna be holding it off like the cyborg of a team with literally a cyborg at striker scoring three goals a game. But you know, listen, you just got to get two draws against them and then hold on strong, man. You guys are looking really good. I'm rooting for you guys this year. I'm not kidding, man. I, I really don't want to see another city title. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I'm loving it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right here. I've been your host, Wolu, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. On the other side, Alex Wong joins the show, as he does, three times a week.
Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers sportsbook award-winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined by producer and co-host Alex Wong, as he is here every Friday. And uh, yeah, Alex, what's going on, man? Um, big uh, big haircut planned for you today before the game. <laughs> A lot of plans for you? Yeah, you know, I just looked in the mirror yesterday and didn't really like my hair. So, oh, okay. you know, I change it up. I don't even do? know why I go get a haircut because, like, I just wear hats every day. Yeah, but you know, so you still need to be fresh. Yeah, I guess you gotta yourself. be fresh. You know, clean up. Hopefully, the Raptors can can get a win tonight against the New York Knickerbockers. Right. You know, exciting times. I can't wait, man. Yeah, We've got a live feed of the arena right now in the studio. Yeah, you seem like you're you're in a better mood today. What's up? There's no reason to be in a bad mood. It's just basketball. You know, I had a had a very peaceful time yesterday doing pottery. Oh right, you know, my second time doing pottery was was real fun. Shout out to the Clay Art Studio. Perhaps maybe that's a free class. No. Okay. okay. So you're the new you're the new Clay Thompson. Uh, I was literally Clay Thompson yesterday with the, with the C man. I was showing you some of my uh, yeah the bowls. But you told and, me you can't cups. take the pottery that you create um, with you. So, that seems like a scam to me. It's uh, no, I mean okay, so yeah. it was definitely a full experience not in to terms call of out like the place. But. No, no, no. It's not a scam. I mean, I, I think it was in the fine print or it was. Pretty clearly stated somewhere if that you don't actually get print, to keep. It's a scam, man. <laughs> okay, fair. But for me, I was just like, I think over the course of the class, I got so excited, I got so into it. You know, you're on that wheel and you got that sponge and you got little things and you're like using yeah. your thumbs and all these ways and you're playing with the clay. So it's just genuinely fun. Sounds very relaxing, honestly. It was super relaxing. It was like the best two hours I spent yesterday um, was just doing that. On my way to the studio, I had a little bit of a scooter crash as well. You know? Oh my god, what happened? Yeah, landing on my knee. You all right? I still ah. need to get you a helmet, by the way. My yeah, bad. you know this. This was not ideal because it was like kind of rainy outside, and I went over some train tracks up on uh, Old Weston. Shout out to, uh, you know, Derek knows Old Weston. Um, so yeah, there's like wood and there's like you know train tracks, and it was slippery and it was at night, and I kind of went over a little too fast, kind of skidded out a little bit. Everything's fine. It just landed on my knee. It's not Osler. It's it, yeah. It's it's not Osler. You're right. Osler better. Um, wow. Mm, We're really Osler's good. like you know hills over yeah. the train tracks. Damn. Happy Friday, everybody. <laughs> but anyway. You don't get to keep it, no. You, uh, but I did. I did forget this fact. So I was. I made like four like bowls and cups that are actually pretty decent looking. No, you showed me the photos. It looks great. But unfortunately, at the very end, I was like, "So, instructor, um, when can we come back for these?" And, and she was like, "You don't. I'm destroying this as soon as you leave the studio." <laughs> and and they're say, repurposing the clay. You say you have to take three lessons. Yeah, you got to take three lessons apparently. Once again, but sounds I, like I a, sounds like a scam to me. I, I, it was fun though. Oh, okay. No, I'm glad you had a good time. That's that's a good way to 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 you know therapize yourself uh, with the Raptors being so poor. No, right but pottery sounds like a really good time. Um, do you have Friday shoutouts before we get to these Fred VanVleet clips? Or yeah, no? you know this Friday, I just want to give a special shout out to Kyle Crib. Yeah. For always being so helpful mm. with the show. So, Mister, thanks for your email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just want to thank Kyle Crib. Okay. No one Friday. else. Though? What about uh, the guests? Who was who was on the show this week, man? Um, lots of great guests this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was uh, Zawar Siddiqui. Yeah. It was a great segment. Mm-hmm. Who else did we have? 
Blake. Yeah, Vivek Jacob. Yeah. Blake Murphy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Lindsay, Lindsay Dunn was here as yeah. well. Nice. Great nice. guest. Very good. Uh, what about the sports on employees other one, other than Kyle Crave? Uh, just just Kyle, yeah. Just Kyle. Yeah, that was one. No, that, no one else. That, huh? that, that was that was one of the one of the feedbacks I received. We're trying to you know nope. shorten. The no more DT. Out. No more. No more. Their names are. No more Ryan Fabro. <laughs> no <laughs> no more Greg Sansoni. Shouts all of them. Yeah. All right. All, of them. all right. All right. Let's get to that first clip. So Fred VanVleet went on the Ginger Reddick podcast, and um, as Fred does, uh, he makes himself available to press, uh, and then he to player media. Yeah. Player, well, player media, but also us. But come on, man. Yes, How yes, many yes, times yes, have we interviewed Fred? Like, honestly, like, even when I was like, I was like nobody at that time. And we went, I interviewed Fred at the, the back of a footlocker. And we drafted <laughs> oh, yeah, three on three teams. It's actually a pretty good segment one time. But you no, know. seriously, Fred is always very generous with his time, as you know. Um, and he went on the J.J. Roddy podcast where he kind of discussed essentially like what's wrong with this season. Fred, I want to I want to talk about your play right now. Yeah. Because... Going back to the end of last season, when you had a couple injuries, um, your your shooting numbers tailed off a little bit. Obviously, you know you were in the conversation for all NBA last year, um, and then to start this year, you've you've dealt with some stuff. You're coming off a back injury where you you were out a couple games, and I, I read an interview where you said at this point it's all mental. Like the shooting thing is all mental. Um, from someone who who dealt with different injuries at time though. It's very hard as some, you know, you're on the move, you're shooting off the dribble, you're shooting off pin downs, whatever it may be. It's very hard to not compensate when your body's not right. How much have the injuries affected your shooting? Uh, probably a lot. You know what I mean? I got to be careful with what I say sometimes. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot going on. And um, just being in the business of it, I've learned how to try to, you know, manipulate as best I can. I think that um, early on in the season, it was definitely a uh, adjustment. I think um, from a stylistic point, the way we were playing um, last year was just kind of free and easy. And I think I was much more a focal point with just on-ball duties and having the ball the whole game and being able to kind of dictate where I wanted to go. And this year that's changed a little bit. Um, so I'm kind of just like, you know, catching the rhythm. So you know how it goes some nights, the ball finds you some nights it doesn't. And the nights where it doesn't, those are the nights that I'm struggling this year, where it's like the outer rhythm games where I may get a couple catching shoes, couple contested ones, couple ones off the dribble, not getting to the foul line. And then, you know, I get three wide open ones at the end of the night when we need them. And if I make them, we win. If I miss them, we lose. I've had probably like four or five of those games. So I think it's a big drop off from like where I was as far as an all-star caliber point guard to where I am now. But I think it's pretty situational too in terms of where we are as a team and as an organization trying to figure out, you know, what's the best way to maximize the most out of this team. And I got a lot of other responsibilities other than just like scoring the ball. So I'm doing a lot and that shooting has been up and it's been down way more than I would like it to be. So uh, I'm giving myself a little runway, but at the same time, um, just being realistic about where we are. And I just go watch the film and say, okay, well, I was two for 12 from three and eight of them were bombs and three of them were heavily contested by a seven footer. And I missed three wide open ones, you know, in my 39th minute of the night. So it's like you got to be able to be fair with yourself too, but come in and just put the work in too. Okay, so um, as Fred is, 
as you can hear right there, right? Very, very transparent, very honest. Uh, mm. re- honestly, great job by J.D. Reddick and also um, uh, Tom, Tom, Tommy, Tommy Alter. I'm sorry, no. I'm not trying to disrespect. I actually just <laughs> don't listen to the pod enough. Oh, okay. But I, every time I listen to the pod, I really, really enjoy it. And I really got to add it to the rotation. I'm sorry. It's just a lot of Brian Windhorst and Coach David Thorpe in there right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And sure. Zach Lowe, of course. Shouts to the hoop. Um, actually, shouts to the mismatch as well. I, I do, I do kind of like how mismatched they are personality-wise. Oh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. as Fred always like does, here. you know, and since you can hear there, um, was pretty transparent about sort of why he thinks he's been struggling. Now, I think uh, I've seen a lot of the reaction on this has been the other way of like, Fred talking about transitioning off ball, which he also said to me in a press conference or in a like media scrum um, on boxing as well, kind of shared the exact kind of idea of uh, like mm. transition to playing off ball. And a lot of people are sort of pushing back on this and saying, well, based on the stats, the uh, usage rate is not too different, right? Last year, his usage was 23.7%. This year, it's 22.4%. So we're talking about a 1.3 percentage drop in usage, which mm. literally could happen with within a week. When you think about the shot attempts, um, his shot attempts are only down one from last year. Last year is at 16.9. Mm-hmm. This year is at 15.8. So a lot of people are sort of pointing to, like, I don't really see what new role Fred Van Bleed is in. But I also, you know, when I saw those numbers, it was a little confusing to me as well because it's like eye test-wise, it just didn't look the exact mm-hmm. same. Yeah, you know, I, I know you're a big fan of the eye test. Yes. So then I, I looked at in terms of in the lineups in which Fred is out there with other guys, right? Because obviously Fred's usage is going to be high when he's out there with the bench, mm-hmm. right? Or he's in those transition lineups. What does Fred's usage look like when he's out there with the rest of the starters, right? It's probably dipped, right? Fred VanVleet, when he's on the floor with Gary Trent Jr., OJ Anobi, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, Fred VanVleet has the lowest usage rate among that group. Pascal in that, in that group has a 25% usage, which is exactly how it should be. Scotty has a 22% usage, okay. which is you know up from last year. OG has a 20% usage. Gary Trent has a 20% usage. Fred VanVleet has a usage rate of 13.6%. Mm when he's at the starting group, okay. right? And you might say, well, listen, Gary hasn't been in the starting group a lot of the times. What if we remove Gary from that group? Now, of course, you know, the, the stats do change a little bit, but ultimately Fred's usage is still uh, 15.6%. That's even if you remove Gary from the starting lineup and you replace him with like a whoever else has started this year, Thad, yeah. you know, Wancho. Christian, Wancho, yeah. everybody. Malachi. If you haven't started for the Raptors this season... You know, it might That's be a real problem. doghouse. It might yeah. be a real, yeah, Thad Young. You know what I mean? Like, everyone started for the Raptors this season. But even if you take out Gary, who obviously is going to be shoot first, mm. Fred's usage is still 15.8%. So I think that's what he's trying to highlight. The fact that when he's out there with the main guys, his job is clearly to just distribute and then catch and shoot, which is sort of like what I've been seeing for the most part on the eye test. Now, of course, we've had injuries, and he's scaled up his production. Mm. There are games where he had back-to-back 39-point games. You wouldn't say he was the fifth, fifth option in those games. Mm-hmm. But I think on the whole, that was the idea coming into the season. And if he says it's affecting his rhythm, then what can you really say? Like, we're not in the mind of the player. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because, you know, he talked about him having a lot more other responsibilities, right? And him talking about how he just hasn't been as comfortable this season versus last year when it felt like it was more free-flowing. Uh-huh. And I think the numbers that you just gave me, kind of bears that out in terms of like he's playing different roles within every game depending on what the roster is, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 Because that, I think, gets to what he's saying about the rhythm. Sure. Like when you're sure. playing with the bench guys, you know, he's going to be taking a more on-ball role, maybe looking more for a shot. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about the usage rate dropping when he's playing with the starters. I, like, like, like you said, though, if this is how he's explaining it this is how he feels i don't think people need to necessarily agree with it 
I, I, I think, think by the way, people clearly don't agree <laughs> well, with it, man. Fred right now is They is don't just, agree with it, bro. Fred He's right literally now, public enemy number one right now. What, what is like a what is a worse term than like a lightning rod? Because that's what he is for like the fan base right now. He's right? like a dumping ground. Yeah, right now. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a dynamite right now. But it's like, like I get it. But also, I think at the end of the day, everybody can agree that we just need Fred to shoot better. Because he, oh, yeah. he's talked oh, about... By the he, way, this is not yeah. me defending Fred, by the way. This is just me trying to contextualize this conversation because I was what he was saying about the role change wasn't yes. necessarily reflected in the overall stats. So we had to dig a little bit deeper <laughs> and I think, to maybe yeah. see what he was getting yeah, at. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I think you're exactly right. No one's right. defending Fred, man. I'm, literally, there's no economy for defending Fred right like, now. Like I've said, I'm... He's just got to shoot better, man. I'm, 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 I'm not defending that. Fred until he talks to you this season. But like... okay. I well, think, he's going to do a J.J. Reddick podcast. I think, I think, that think he's leads, good on podcasts. I think that leads to... Uh, by the way, I love how J.J. gets to sit in that like nice little back room, too, at oh. the practice facility. Saying, we no, sit no, in no, a shout, nice room, too. Yeah, Shouts to, you know, shout to JQ's <laughs> office. Um, love the frame jersey in there. But yeah. I, I think I think the other thing, too, like the way that Fred is talking about it, it goes back to the bigger conversation just about role definition, right? Yeah. Like well, how many roles are defined on this team? That was the thing that was also telling because when I, when I talked to Fred about this exact mm-hmm. issue... I asked him essentially, like, how did the front office and coaching staff sell this to you? Mm. And he said, they didn't sell this to them. <laughs> He's mm. just like, I just kind of took a hit. You know right. what I mean? So, again, but, like, you shouldn't have to take hints, right? Especially with a guy who's been with the franchise a long time. And I'm sure they have conversations sort of beyond this as well that are maybe more explicit. Mm-hmm. But everyone's got to be in their defined roles. And then, of course, everyone's got to find a way to thrive in his role. And to be honest, with Fred, he's got to find a way to thrive in that role. Right now, they're just asking him to catch and shoot. Mm-hmm. They're taking a lot of the point duties, giving it to Pascal, giving it to Scotty. Yeah. And they're just asking him to catch and shoot. And, of course, defend his position. Mm-hmm. And right now, he's not doing a good enough job of that. And no. that's part of the reason why the Raptors are struggling. The overall thing, though, man, I mean... When you think about the Raptors fan base over the years, in terms of guys who have been in this position where, like, all the heat is on them, mm. it reminds me, in a way, of sort of where, where Pascal was in the bubble. But, of course, that one went way too far. Um, it reminds me a little bit of where DeMar used to be. Mm. Before everyone loved DeMar, by the way, I would say the inflection point for DeMar happened in, like, 2017. But there was a real stretch between, like, 2011 to 2016, even, where it was very debatable. It was a big topic of debate how good... DeMar DeRozan is, and is he even a plus player? Nowadays, it's just everyone universe, you know, mm. the city love me like I'm DeMar DeRozan. Trust me, between that stretch, a lot of the Raptors fan base were split on this. True. Then before that, it was Andrea Bargnani. Oh, yeah. You know, and it kind of just goes on and on. Which There's, my guy, Ball Don't Stop, guy. last night said uh, he was a decade too early, Wait, by the no. way. Oh, my goodness. He <laughs> said Andrea's a hooper? No. He, said, he said he would be Lowry Market and dropping 49 today. Call him a hoopero, man. <laughs> oh, man. That's no, but, but yeah, I think. I don't know, man. Like yeah. the, the the team is playing so bad. I like to just take a. Uh, I like to just blame everybody. Like, sure, I don't yeah. think you can just <laughs> sure, blame yeah. one person. Sure, I, guess. I like to blame the coaching staff. I like to blame every player. I like to blame the front office. The front office really well. can't skate on this one. No, man. The team I, sucks this but year. the I'm troubling sorry. thing for me, listening to this conversation, and it may be just kind of reading the tea leaves and kind of seeing how the mood of the team has been this season. It's like just. People need to get on the same page, right? Mm. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I think when you hear Fred expressing his frustration about his role, you know, you don't yeah. have to agree or disagree with it. But clearly, you know, there's just, you know, some kind of divide in terms of just players and their roles and getting on the same page. And that has clearly contributed to the issues on the court. Yeah. So. so you t- excited to talk about tonight's game? Oh, yeah. And now on, it's man? time for Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Well, the line for tonight's game, the Raptors are hosting the New York Knickerbockers. The Raptors are three and a half point favorites. RJ Barrett is out with a lacerated right index finger. 
And on today's episode of Is Otto Porter Going to Play? The answer is no. Uh, Otto Porter is uh, on the injury report. So the Raptors are three and a half point favorites coming off a loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. I I feel like I started the season really well with the predictions. And then as the Raptors started to get really weird and started to get really in flux, the predictions have just been all over the place. I have an explanation for that. You usually pick the Raptors. So the Raptors were playing okay (laughs) at the start of the season and they have been terrible for five weeks. So very good explanation. uh, That's the eye test right there. That's the eye test. Eye test nasty on that one. Yeah. Um, how do the Raptors keep getting favored if they keep playing poorly? Well, RJ, RJ is a big injury. Oh, RJ plays well against the Raptors, no doubt. Obviously, there's and a real pride. It, yeah. That is a fair question because, the, you know, early in the season when the Raptors were struggling, they were still a very strong home team at Scotiabank Arena. Uh-huh, yeah. And they have also, you know, lost that as well in mm-hmm. recent weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a good question. But usually home teams, you know, when, when you consider a maybe even type matchup, if you look at a Toronto, New York, they're kind of in the same range in the standings. Yep, yep. You know, you would give the home team the advantage here, but <sighs> I don't know. Just what you know. What, I, who, what, who knows what the Raptors? It's is really. Here. You know what the honest betting advice is? Don't bet on the Raptors either way. This is not a team that's predictable. I'm sorry. Just yeah, not. yeah, yeah. It really take, take a look at the Brooklyn Nets tonight. You know they're three and a half point favorites on the road. I just know off the top of your head against the New Orleans Pelicans with Zion Williamson out. Uh, uh, so that 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 would be a recommendation yeah, right got, there. Got to bounce back a little bit. Yeah. But, um, uh, what am I going to say? I'm going to say the, it's going to be like the Simpsons, you know, say the line. Yeah. yeah the Rap- Raptors are going to, I'm taking the Raptors. Okay. Look, listen, I'm riding with my team. You know, if I have to put money on any team on the NBA, I'd still put on the Raptors. Yeah. Just don't. Um, yeah, they've looked, they've, they played well against the Knicks last time out. Um, 52 th- from Pascal. Right. So. I, I, you would anticipate maybe Tibbs doing something different mm-hmm. and hard doubling him. Um, sure. You know, we'll see if they continue to do that drop back coverage against Scotty. Um, but I think he's actually figured it out. Some really great quotes from shoot around. If you haven't heard those, by the way about Scotty sort of reflecting on sort of how he's looking to attack that coverage. But yeah, I, I, look, listen, man, if the Raptors come out with the effort they showed against the Bucks, that should be enough against the Knicks. But, you know, who knows with the Raptors? My honest opinion is don't bet the team. Just avoid them for a while. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. So that does it for us today on the Raptors show. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you know, big thanks to uh, Zarar for coming on the show today. Big thanks to Alex for pulling up. All right, very insightful 15-minute cameo. Thanks to Derek Brandale and Jennifer Olner for helping us the YouTube stream. And I'll be back next week. Chosen Adam Silver. Silver.